Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. So just a quick heads up before we begin. Yesterday I released a new Patreon bonus episode, and so the subject is a little out of the wheelhouse of the show, although in fairness I do often discuss uh, scientific topics. But it's basically me talking about my recent experience researching longevity and anti-aging science. So if uh, you're a Patreon supporter and you are unaware that I posted that, it's there for you to check out. And if you've been considering supporting the show but you don't currently and that sounds interesting, maybe it can be an excuse for you to sign up as a, uh, as a patron or become a patron. Okay, I just wanted to let everyone know about that. And just to clarify in case it wasn't obvious, I wasn't actually doing scientific research. I was researching a scientific topic for my own benefit. Okay. So a good old news story episode. And so this first one is from, as usual, Emmett Maida's Only Sky blog. And it's dated December 8th. And it's entitled, After Atheist Invocation, Florida Officials Let Christian Give Replacement Prayer. This is quote-unquote discriminatory, unconstitutional, and a slap in the face, said an atheist group of the Lake County Commissioners. On Tuesday, atheist Joseph Richardson of the Central Florida Free Thought Community was slated to deliver an invocation during a meeting of the Lake County Board of County Commissioners in Florida. That was a mouthful. Uh, He gave an excellent speech, thanking the commissioners and staffers for their hard work and urging everyone to keep their quote-unquote hearts and minds open, perfectly fine, completely non-offensive. But then, moments after Richardson was done, Fred Schneider from the local Public Works Department was invited to give a second invocation, a replacement invocation, a Christian invocation, because apparently the secular one didn't count. Schneider only spoke for 30 seconds, but he referenced, uh, in quotes here, Father God in Heaven, Jesus, Blessings, and Prayer, making it obvious that Christianity would be explicitly included in the meeting. Maybe the most damning thing Schneider said was the admission right up front, in quotes, I was just asked a few minutes ago if I would lead in the prayer. That suggests his invocation wasn't planned in advance. It was put on the agenda at the last second by Lake County officials, as if to correct the mistake of letting an atheist speak. That doesn't happen when a Christian gives an invocation. It doesn't even happen when a religious non-Christian speaks. This is nothing more than an insult to all non-Christians in the community, implying that their inspirational messages don't count. It's not even the first time this sort of thing has happened to Richardson specifically. In 2019, when he gave an invocation in the city of Okawi, I think that's its Native American, right? Florida, the mayor appeared to apologize on behalf of the city afterwards. In 2017, when Richardson gave an invocation in Eustace, Florida, his comments were followed by a second religious invocation from the then-Commissioner Anthony Sabatini, or from then-Commissioner Anthony Sabatini. 
In 2015, when Richardson gave an invocation in Apopka, is it Florida, the mayor waited until the end of the meeting after Richardson had left the building to ask a Christian pastor to give a second invocation. He even said to the pastor, in quotes, since we were kind of uncovered at the start of the meeting, can you cover us with a benediction as we leave tonight? <laughs> These government officials believe Christianity is a necessary ingredient in their meetings. It's illegal, yet it happens all too frequently. The Freedom From Religion Foundation has now sent a letter to the commissioners in Lake County, calling their actions, quote-unquote, discriminatory, unconstitutional, oh, this was at the top of the article, and a slap in the face to all of Lake County's non-Christian citizens. And here's the letter. We write to ask that the board ensure that all future invocation givers are treated with respect and that the discriminatory conduct exhibited at the December 6th meeting does not occur again in the future. If the board cannot treat invocation speakers equally, the practice of having an invocation needs to be eliminated entirely. The Establishment Clause thus requires that a non-believer who delivers the invocation be treated the same as someone who delivers a Christian prayer. When the board asks for a Christian prayer to quote-unquote correct a prayer or invocation that was not Christian, the board engages in a practice that discriminates against minority faiths. And it's tricky. There are Christians, religious apologists, or just people who have a disdain for atheism who will say atheism is a religion, maybe because in their eyes or their view, you need to have an almost religious faith in your assertion that there is no God. And my response would be atheism isn't a religion. It's characterized by the rejection or absence of religion. And it's simply a lack of faith or belief in the existence of some specific man-made concept of God or a higher power in general. Uh, but that being said, I do think that atheism needs to be treated like a religion legally and constitutionally because in a sense, rejection of religion is a you know religious stance of sorts that needs to be protected. People should have the right to not believe without being marginalized or persecuted or treated like second-class citizens. So if an atheist or secular humanist wants to deliver an uplifting message as a kind of invocation, let them, and then you can have a religious person deliver the next one at the next meeting. It's like they think everyone's gonna catch cooties because an atheist got to speak and need a religious person to come in right after the cleanup. But anyway, on to the next story. This one's also from Hemet Made His Only Sky blog, and it's entitled, Why Are Lyft and Uber Letting Christian Drivers Preach at Passengers? And it's dated December 3rd. And there's a subheading here. No one should have to pay to be missionized against their will, said an atheist group in a letter to both companies. And so it starts, if you're like me when you're taking an Uber or Lyft, you just want to get your destination in absolute silence. It's always a gamble to begin a conversation with a total stranger, even if it's usually pleasant. But it would be so much worse if the Uber or Lyft driver used that opportunity of having a captive passenger to preach his or her religion. 
Both ride-sharing companies have strict rules prohibiting religious discrimination. Drivers cannot refuse a customer, for example, who is very clearly not a member of their faith. But there's no rule blocking drivers from proselytizing and attempting to win new converts, and Christians know it. A recent Associated Press article focused on Lyft drivers who see their work as quote-unquote mobile Christian ministries. And this must be an excerpt from that Associated Press article, and it starts with a quote. The car is such an ideal place to do this because it's personal, said Pastor Kenneth Drayton, who now drives for Lyft. I can share my faith, and it's so important because that's what I live for. I'm trying out new voices. He always plays classical music on his car stereo. His favorite is Mozart. To encourage a calm, pleasant mood. But that kind of makes, that's like almost a setup for like a serial killer thing. Like when uh, Hannibal Lecter was listening to classical music in his cell before he like murdered those cops with the baton. And, and uh, I actually like classical music too. I like all sorts of stuff from uh, folk and classical to, you know, punk and death metal. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> yes, yeah, still kind of creepy. He begins with a greeting and a, and a kind word. His priority, he says, is to introduce passengers to Christ, which may, I just envision Christ actually sitting in the car, maybe up in the passenger seat, and he has to like awkwardly turn around to shake your hand. Um, he's respectful if they're not receptive. They're often Christian, but he has also spoken to atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, and Muslims. Instead of trying to preach, he says he focuses his message on the love of God and tends to avoid doctrine. Now, that sounds odd. If he goes beyond, you know, the vague idea of some loving higher power and goes specifically into talking about Jesus, then that becomes a matter of doctrine, right? He's suggesting that you should embrace or accept Christ specifically. That's how it sounds anyway. Once again, it says his priority is to introduce passengers to Christ. That seems pretty specific and pretty doctrine-oriented. And the article continues, if that wording makes his ruse seem mild, that's unfortunate because nothing about it is okay. To treat a customer as a potential convert rather than a client changes the relationship even if Drayton makes clear he respects passengers who don't want to hear a spiel. It would be more respectful if he didn't work off the assumption that his clients want to change their religious beliefs. It's not like he's an anomaly either. A quick search on Twitter reveals a number of people who have had to deal with people just like him. And there's some pretty funny tweets here. Uh, there's one... Why is my Lyft driver preaching the Bible to me? Another one, my Lyft driver is preaching Jesus to me. Can we not do this? Another one, our Lyft driver is literally preaching to us right now. I cannot begin to express how little tolerance I have for this. My Lyft driver is basically preaching to me and I have no peace. That's kind of sad. Here's another one. Our Lyft driver preaching to us how to be true Christian and telling us we don't need to be going out. And my dumbass yells, I love strip clubs. And the funny thing is that's actually a female. And it looks like her Twitter handle is at random hot mom. And this next one's female too. My Lyft driver is really preaching the Bible to me because of my name. And it looks like her name is faith. Sir, it's 10 a.m. 
And then it says it can happen the other way around, too, with passengers preaching to drivers. And so some woman posted on Twitter, so I preached Christ to my Uber driver today, a Muslim, but he paid attention to every word I spoke. He was just looking at me through his mirror, like, why would this young, fine girl be carrying Jesus on her head like this? And then a uh, laughing and crying emoji. I'm so glad I was able to plant the seed in his heart. And someone responded, imagine if the Uber driver was the one preaching Islam. He would have been given one star, and a long-ass thread would have been dedicated to him. Y'all don't understand boundaries. And in fairness to Christians, I understand that evangelism is a big part of your faith. Go out and make disciples of all nations, etc. But other people aren't side characters or NPCs in your religion-drenched personal story. Other people have their own beliefs and worldviews and just want to get from point A to B in peace without being preached at, especially when they're paying you for a service. Uh, stand on a street corner with a sandwich board handing out pamphlets on your own time. Uh, that would still be incredibly annoying, but at least your audience wouldn't be held captive in a moving car, you know? And I know that probably sounds pretty glib or callous, and it's not aimed at religious people in general. It's aimed at religious people who do this kind of annoying and inconsiderate stuff. In your mind, you might think you're saving souls, but not everyone believes what you believe. So just to reiterate, you know, pushing your religion on someone while they're stuck in a vehicle with you and paying you once again, you know, paying you for a service is a gross imposition. And it's, like I said, inconsiderate, to say the least. But now that I'm done venting, let's move on to the next story. So I'm liking this new format where I end each news story episode with a science story, so I'm going to keep it going. And this week I'm going to be reading from a live science article uh, by Joanna Thompson. It was published seven days ago. It's December 13th as I'm recording this. And so the article is entitled, Zombie Viruses Have Been Revived from Siberian Permafrost. Could They Infect People? Uh, and then the subheading is, Researchers have isolated viable microbes from melting permafrost after tens of thousands of years. But don't worry, they infect only amoebas. And so it begins, there's a frozen soup of viruses, bacteria, and fungal spores lurking beneath the frigid Arctic soil, unlike the icy leftovers in the back of your freezer. Some of these microbes haven't interacted with a cell since well before ancient Egyptians built the pyramids of Giza. As climate change continues to cook the planet, I like this author's uh, flair, uh, these, per these permafrost-locked germs are beginning to thaw. But can newly defrosted microbes quote-unquote wake up and infect anything? And how much of a potential threat do they pose to human and environmental health? Those are the questions an international team of scientists began to probe in a new study available on the preprint database BioArchive. 
and it's funny, it looks like bio R and then some Roman numerals, but I looked it up and apparently it's pronounced bio archive. Disease outbreaks from permafrost are not unprecedented. Siberian reindeer herds periodically contract anthrax from bacteria and melted permafrost, according to research published in 2021 in the journal Frontiers in Veterinary Science, and the issue has affected a handful of humans in these regions as well. For the new study, which has not been peer-reviewed, the researchers isolated 13 newly described viruses from seven permafrost samples and two water samples taken from Siberian rivers. Three of the viruses named Megavirus Mammoth, Pithovirus Mammoth, and Pandoravirus Mammoth were found inside 27,000-year-old petrified mammoth wool. Another was discovered in the frozen intestines of an ancient Siberian wolf. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's what the kids call metal. That's pretty crazy. In a contained lab setting, the scientists carefully thawed the microbes and sequenced their genomes. Then the researchers infected amoeba cells with the newly awakened viruses. Despite being up to 48,000 years old, several of the viruses were able to replicate within the amoebas, causing them to burst open and release fresh viral particles. And I'm starting to think of like John Carpenter's The Thing or Alien. And here's a quote. The ones we revived are no danger at all, famous last words. They only infect amoeba. Jean-Michel Clavery, I think it is, probably butchered it, a computational microbiologist at Axe Marseille, or Axe Marseille, um, sure I'm butchering that, university in France, and co-author of the new study told Live Science in an email, and here's a follow-up quote, but their presence and infectivity suggests that ancient viruses infecting animals slash humans could still be infectious. Wait a minute, ancient viruses infecting animals and humans could still be infectious? That sounds kind of redundant, or I don't know, maybe I'm not being charitable enough. It could mean that um, they could easily spread from one infected animal or human to another, I guess, anyway. The researchers focused on amoeba-infecting viruses because amoebas make good model organisms and because there would be minimal risk of accidental spillover to lab technicians. And here's a quote, We are using the amoeba's billion years of evolutionary distance with humans and other mammals as the best possible protection, they wrote in the paper. Previous studies of viruses locked within Arctic permafrost have been few and far between. However, the author said this study disproves an old hypothesis, that permafrost contains few viable microbes. In addition to the viruses they revived, the team found trace evidence of numerous other species, including some related to known human pathogens, such as pox viruses and herpes viruses. Herpes locked in permafrost. Permaherpes? Oh, there's a joke in there somewhere. Anyway, but if one of these strains did awaken and infect humans, modern vaccines likely would offer some protection. 
The biggest risk, according to the authors, is from unknown viruses like SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen responsible for COVID-19. These germs have the potential to spread rapidly through a population that lacks natural immunity, triggering a pandemic. Such a virus would need to be studied and understood, even as it infected people making vaccine development tricky. And now political upheaval in the region has halted the collection of new permafrost samples. And uh, in quotes, because of the Russia-Ukraine war, all our collaborations are now stopped. Claveri explained, adding that his lab will continue to study the viruses they have, and they hope that companies setting up drilling and mining operations on the Siberian permafrost take heed and proceed with caution, for example by monitoring for unusual diseases and setting up appropriate quarantine facilities. And the article ends with a final quote from Jean-Michel Claveri. Uh, sincerely, I hope I'm not butchering his name. We believe the point is made that viruses of any kind can survive in permafrost. So I thought that was a really cool and interesting story, and I basically read the whole article, so even though it was short, hopefully it didn't seem too dry or like it dragged. But with that being said, I think I'm going to call this episode a wrap. As always, thank you everyone for listening, and you guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, you can follow me on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. You can check out the YouTube channel, maybe you're doing that now. And once again, if you'd like to help support what I do here monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.